was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. Her sisters. We did it again. It's super lame, I but know, whatever. It's, yeah. it's kind of adorable. Oh, um, uh, today we have a lot of topics that we want to cover. Um, some of the things that we uh, are going to do is we're going to catch up a little bit. Um, we are going to talk about coronavirus. We're going to talk about Super Tuesday and what is going on in the Democratic Party. Uh, and with that, hi, this is Suja. Um, what do we just do? We yeah. Okay. What have I been up to? Um, it's been it's been really busy. Yeah. You know, we've been working really hard on like just regular work stuff, um, keeping uh, like a lot of advocacy work mm -hmm. and um, uh, community organizing. Um, just then, there's you know the family. You know, I got two teenagers in the house now. Yeah. Your, your husband is here. My husband is here, yes. Yeah. Do you Dr. want to introduce Amir. Yeah, do you want to introduce him? I sure I will introduce him. Um his name is Dr. Abdul Amir. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> He's here great. to uh give us an update on the coronavirus. And so that's all I've been up to, but okay. why don't we pass it off to Alison or Alicia and Cool. Sure, hey, so in the last year, um I have been working a lot on uh, this group that I've created called um, Homeschooling in Color RVA, which is actually going to be a statewide um, homeschool support group uh, for families of color. And we are um, attempting our first, well, we had a mini conference last year, but our goal is to have a much larger conference this year, a statewide conference. Um, there are two main uh, statewide homeschooling sort of advocacy groups here in the state of Virginia. One is a religious-based one, um, it brings probably thousands of people from across the state. Another is a much smaller non-religious one. It's, um, they've had some challenges this year and so they actually aren't gonna be having a conference, uh, which leaves a lot of families of color sort of in a difficult space if you don't feel like you wanna be in a ultra-religious uh, you know, uh, community, but you still want support for homeschooling families. And then the other effort I've been working on is um, a homeschool cooperative that I started and we're in our second year and it's growing and it's wonderful and beautiful and like awesome. And you can find us online at our website. I'm gonna go ahead and plug it. It is a cultural roots co-op. Co-op has a hyphen in it.com. Let's check it out. Well, I think Alicia's is much more exciting and <laughs> productive than anything I can talk about. This is Alison here. Um, and since our last little gathering, we, I mean, we've all seen each other individually and, you know, sometimes together throughout the year, but from our, since our last recording, at least. Um, after we took back the house and, and you know, the, the political push, the blue wave continued um i ended up getting involved with the executive committee of my local um democratic party and have been doing a lot for that took up vast amounts of time i had really had no idea i think when i agreed to do it that it would involve so much unpaid volunteer <laughs> hours but you know it it felt like it was worth it to me like you know, getting those seats flipped and managing to be 
or feeling at least that I was we were all part of flipping the house in the Senate in Virginia so we could get some of our good laws passed that were either killed in committee or you know just sort of thrown into the void um and that brings so I think you know we'd all been so active and involved in so many different causes that it was much better to just start narrowing down things that we could pick that one um situation that we really wanted to get involved in so I was really thrilled to be able to uh, go down and do some advocacy work for, uh, you know, the LGBTQ youth, um, wonderful group side by side, and, uh, you know, going through the corridors of the Pocahontas building and attending all those committee meetings, some of which happened before the sun came up. I mean, literally dark outside going in to, to listen to them. And we were able to do things like uh, conversion therapy on minors has finally been outlawed, um, which is just incredible. And I'm just so happy that we can protect our children like this. And, um, you know, um, trans prote protections for trans youth in our schools. Um, and just to see all of these these um, laws being passed, it's it's so relieving um, for um, allies and families and LGBTQ youth. So that, that's that been lovely to see. Of course, I think all of us can agree. Um, I definitely don't have the same stars in my eyes about this political journey as I might have had, you know, through when I really sort of we all got scared after 2016 and got activated and managed to get rid of our horrible congressman and all that kind of stuff felt like very hopeful like there was real grassroots effort and change and I think we've all we're still we're still on the journey but we're all a little bit jaded because we we understand that um things are not always what they seem or at least that's the way I can feel speaking from my position of privilege as a white woman it's easy for me to now you know say wow I didn't realize how bad it was and there's plenty of people who did realize that but I get it now uh this is Maureen here I uh a lot has changed for me in the last year uh since our last recording um I uh have had some wonderful things happen um I got engaged I um, started a new job, and I have <laughs> um, uh, have been working um, with some youth, uh, with interns and, and whatnot, and it's that has always made me feel great to uh, have a chance to give back and, and kind of train up um, the next generation. Um, and uh, it's it's been in, in an industry that I uh, did not necessarily foresee myself in. Um, but I am having a blast and enjoying every moment of it. Um, and um, honestly, since our last podcast, I thought it was quite ironic when I was um, listening to it this morning on my drive in um, that we talked so much about not burning out. And um, I did a lot of doing nothing because of that very reason. Um, I won't go into the particulars, but... Uh, 
uh, it self care is not anything to ignore, and um, mm-hmm. and you only get one chance to live, uh, and you only have one body. So take care of it. And with that, uh, I think that's a good transition to discuss. <laughs> yeah, how, it's a perfect how do, segue. How, how do we take care of our bodies with this uh, mysterious coronavirus? So let's give a little history about coronavirus. Coronavirus has been um, it's been known in the medical community for a long time. It's actually been somewhat of a um, virus that was lumped in with uh, flu-like symptoms, uh, influenza-type virus, uh, rhinovirus, mostly caused um, upper what's called upper respiratory tract infection, which is mostly like head and neck, flu-like illness. It might have caused a low-grade sort of fever, congestion, um, and then, and it, it really wasn't a major player in terms of uh, causing major uh, disease and hospitalization. It was like, okay, well, you've got a flu-like illness. It's likely a virus with a low-grade fever. It'll run its course. Um, and then we had the what's called the SARS epidemic of a few years ago. And SARS is a uh, what stands for severe acute uh, respiratory syndrome. And that was uh, the first time where the, corona, where the coronavirus is implicated as the cause or the culprit of SARS. And this was a kind of a new presentation of the coronavirus, which caused a uh, severe pneumonia-type picture. So now it wasn't related to your upper respiratory head and neck sort of thing. It actually infiltrated into your lungs, causing significant illness, particularly in the elderly and those that had other... Uh, comorbidities or other illnesses, um, requiring them to be hospitalized. Uh, The one kind of caveat with SARS was that it really wasn't spread uh, unless you had a huge infection of SARS. Uh, It really wouldn't spread. uh, It wouldn't spread at all. So it was somewhat somewhat of an incomplete sort of um, uh, transmission. You would get it, presumably from somebody else who had a big amount of that viral load in their body, and then if you were infected with it, you would have this, but likely wouldn't spread it, okay? So that's where SARS came about. And then coronavirus kind of slowly started to disappear again. And then now we have what's called coronavirus and what the CDC has termed as COVID-19, which is coronavirus uh, disease of 2019. And so now this has actually been somewhat, if you want to consider it, has been, consider, is, is been a progression of coronavirus now. So we had, we had coronavirus which caused upper respiratory infection, then you had SARS, and now you've got uh, COVID-19, which actually presents in much the same way of fevers, chills, um, but now also with a cough and uh, findings that are consistent of pneumonia but is now felt to be readily spread by droplet infection and by uh, uh, very easy transmission. So that's in kind of a nutshell what the, uh, where, where coronavirus has come to. Now this is actually a distinct entity that's different than flu. So flu um, usually causes, as we know, the flu symptoms, right? You'll have congestion, you may have a cough, you may have uh, low-grade fever, runny nose, stuffy nose, that sort of thing. And then subsequently you would get perhaps a secondary infection from being ill or sick from the flu as a bacterial infection, and that a lot of times would come about as a pneumonia, okay? And that would usually occur in folks that were, uh, again, elderly or susceptible to getting infections. 
Unfortunately, with coronavirus, it is, or the COVID-19 that we're speaking specifically about, it is actually worse than flu, okay? Mm. It actually will present with pneumonia, okay? That is not caused by a secondary infection, that it, it actually is causing a pneumonia in and of itself. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, because it's a viral pneumonia, it really has no treatment that we can offer. Um, with, with influenza, which caused the upper respiratory tract infections, we all know about Tamiflu, okay? And that is the antiviral that was given f to kill or to, uh, to, to treat influenza-type infections. Influ uh, Tamiflu is, will, is ineffective with coronavirus. Um, and so, it, and because it causes a viral-type pneumonia, all you can offer at this point in time is su supportive therapy, meaning uh, if somebody gets hospitalized with COVID-19 and they start to go into respiratory distress, they would need to be put in the intensive care unit and perhaps even mechanically ventilated and or put on, which is also termed life support. Wow. Um, and uh, there, again, is nothing else to be done other, wa other than watchful waiting and supportive therapy, IV fluids, Antibiotics will not help because antibiotics are to kill bacterial infections, not viral infections. Um, unfortunately, I disagree with our president in that he states that this is uh, somewhat of a little nuisance and it's not to be of any significance. Uh, precautionary measures um, would be uh, can uh, would be with starting with um, if you know you've got a cough, be considerate of those around you. Don't cough downstream go to another area and cough. And if you need to cough, cough into your elbow. Okay, that has been shown to be the most preventative sort of uh, manner in which to reduce droplet sort of spread, okay? Um, the next thing would be to meticulously uh, have good hygiene. Uh, you know, uh, the antibacterial sort of, or the, um, uh, not the, excuse me, not the antibacterial, but more, or more so the uh, sanitizing um, alcohol, uh, Purell, those sort of products can help. They may not eradicate the, the virus in and of itself because, again, this is a virus, okay, and it is encapsulated. So it doesn't become infected, excuse me, uh, um, it doesn't become active until it's in somebody, okay? But it, you can always help reduce the transmission. We don't really understand if COVID-19 is spread by touch or by respiratory, it seems to be more so by droplet infection, but we can't discount by touch. So those two things are probably the best things. And then perhaps another common sense sort of thing would be to avoid being in enclosed, enclosed spaces with somebody else if you can't help it, with a large number of other folks, okay? So cruise ships, okay? Um, traveling, if you can avoid it, then perhaps that needs to be considered. And of course, not going to any place that is known to be endemic. Um, now, as we see, as time progresses, almost on an hourly sort of way, we're finding that reports of the, of the virus is kind of starting to become rampant. Thank you. So um, I did want to add, which I forgot to add uh, about a little bit about um, my husband. He is actually also uh, a uh, regular on Death Club Radio and talks about death. 
<laughs> and, oh. and, and, and interesting medical issues when it comes to death. And so there, he's one of the wow. um, regulars there, and he does yeah, have good discussions on that. So we, yeah. Well, we've been, we've, we've been dying to have you on the show. I just, <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to just share what your background is medically? Because so, we, didn't, sure. we didn't do that as well, so I just wanted to add that. I just got that dying, ha ha. <laughs> so, so I guess the reason why I, I um, appear on Death Club Radio is um, I, I practice in three areas of medicine. I'm board certified in internal medicine, which, which I practice in sleep medicine, I'm board certified. And then for Death Club Radio, I am specifically board certified in hospice and palliative medicine, for which I manage a hospice unit um, at a local hospital here. What was right. the second part? Hospice and... Palliative Palliative medicine. Okay. Yeah, he he doesn't do hospice just for Death Club Radio, however. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not why he got bored in. He got bored because that's how you kind of said it. So um, anyway. Well, you know, frankly, I think that's a whole other show because as soon as you said that Death Club Radio and uh, an expert on death, I saw every single one of us. <laughs> perk up immediately because we all have I know that every single one of us has got interesting questions crazy questions things that we've thought about and I'd love to drill down into that there's a reason why he's really popular on that show yeah well one thing is for certain is that we're all dying <laughs> yeah yeah death yeah, and taxes two things you can't escape <laughs> I'd like to have a whole show on uh, night tremors, which is something that I suffer from, which is, is from a child, and uh, yeah. So you're gonna pick my sleep sleep medicine brain, then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should just like we'll have like a whole series of you know, Doctor Amir. Doctor Amir takes your questions. So we are um, running uh, the show with two microphones still. Um, and uh, we have also just ordered a pizza. So I think we're going to pause for a quick commercial break, and uh, we'll be right back. Thank you. Population numbers, it, it's, it's not. So do you want to... So yes. So one thing I do want to add in regards to uh, COVID-19 is that just because you've tested positive for this and that you have the infection doesn't mean that you're actually going to progress on to a fulminant SARS or the severe uh, acute respiratory syndrome. You may have the illness and you may just have minimal symptoms of maybe uh, fatigue, low-grade fever, malaise, uh, um, and, and just have that. So just as everybody in China that has been infected, there are, um, uh, and there's a, there's a number that we see, but the percentage in regards to those that have actually progressed on um, to severe fulminant infection is, is not everyone. But is it, is it a higher rate of people that progress on to severe infection than, say, the flu? Yes, definitely. Okay. And that's because the flu is limited to the upper respiratory infections, and uh, it mostly progresses on to severe, and severe, disease, severe issues um, when they've got a secondary infection. Yeah. Uh, COVID-19, it seems that they will progress on just by having that infection, and it is a larger number than just the flu, yes. Mm. Um, I just have one more question, and this might sound kind of crazy, but um, 
I was kind of interested in it because I've really noticed in this last flu season that loads, lots of people that got the shot, children, adults, they still got this particular flu. Now, whether that's because the strain wasn't the right strain, whatever, we all know that can happen. Um, Say if you got the muscle aches and, you know, the all of the various symptoms of the flu um, and you go to the doctor, is it possible that you could test positive for the flu, but it's actually the COVID no. virus? I mean, that's not a crossover. Like, it, they're not so similar that you could... They're not. ...be negative for the flu, but actually have the... or vice versa. No, that, I don't believe that there is any cross-reactivity in regards to testing for COVID-19 and influenza. Those are two distinct different tests, um, and uh, uh, the... Uh, influenza, so you mentioned that, you know what, folks that have gotten uh, 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 immunized for this year's uh, influenza went on to have or have had flu symptoms. Remember now, flu or influenza is not the only virus that will cause flu-like symptoms. Just like getting the pneumovax for pneumonia is not the only, is not gonna, is not gonna treat you for all types of pneumonia. Um, so you can have an infection of, from another virus you could have one of the lame coronaviruses still um, that's not COVID-19 and have flu-like symptoms. You could have rhinovirus, which is traditionally one of the big players at this time. Um, and then you can also have a different type of influenza, A versus B. Those, those are two different mm-hmm. subsets. And what the CDC formulates every single year is what they feel is going to be the most prevalent type of influenza. Now, could you actually get influenza and it not be that serotype that you've been infected with? Absolutely. I, I just have oh, one. sorry, serotype that you've been uh, immunized for, not infected with, sorry. So I just have one last question. Um, places like China and um, South Korea, they have a much more centralized medical system than we do here. So therefore, they have a path to communicate, you know, a... a central idea in terms of how to cope with this epidemic and the information can get out and it's a you know coordinated response that's very different in this country you've got um for-profit medical industry with um different vested interests involved um do you see that being much more difficult like it's going to be much more difficult for the government in the United States to be able to do some sort of a lockdown rapid response because of that situation? Actually, no. Um, I believe that the Centers, Centers of Disease Control, the CDC, does a, a superb job okay. of epidemiological That's studies and kind of looking uh, not only locally here in the United States, but worldwide. And um, their, their uh, guidelines are, 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 are superior to any one of the other guidelines that may be issued by any other type of disease center, I believe, at least worldwide. And that's, that may be my opinion, but I think a lot of my colleagues feel the same way. And even though uh, China and South Korea may have centralized um, and government-mandated medicine, doesn't mean it's the best, okay? Mm-hmm. Just because you're able to go and get cared for in a public sort of health setting doesn't mean that you're going to get the best care. Um, these places still do have private medicine, which, which people go to get cared for by a private physician, which they may pay out of pocket for. And then let's not also forget the, 
the, the story of the physician in China who tried to raise mm -hmm. the awareness mm -hmm. of this illness and he was shushed. And what happened to that poor guy? He died. He died. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I can't get away from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay, so now that we have covered uh, death, <laughs> destruction, <laughs> viruses, no, like, pneumonia. Well, it's more, if you're going to say that, just don't have viruses, like pandemics. Yeah. <laughs> now, we, now that we've discussed all things horrible, uh, tomorrow is Super <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> And to it's burn to it down to continue the theme. <laughs> yeah, to continue the theme. <laughs> we we've had a uh, very contentious uh, Democratic primary, and um, so uh, I don't know if you guys want to share who you are planning on voting for, who you support. Um, I don't know if you want to make predictions. Um, uh, what so, do you think, Alison? I'd actually like to share something here about this whole situation. Um, I was asked as a favor to, because I've, I've done some, you know, support uh, housing for these campaign staffers that most of them are these sort of, what's that Hamilton line? Young, hungry, and Young, scrappy, and hungry. Yes. And, you know, it's all about, like, okay, it's all about the hustle and what's going to be in my next campaign. And they're, you know, striving to keep jumping up the ladder. And anyway, I was asked uh, if, if I could put up this out-of-town um, staffer for the Klobuchar campaign just until Super Tuesday, which was just going to be a couple of weeks. Didn't necessarily mean I was, you know, on the Klobuchar train because I was all over the place. I think all of us were a little bit like that, changing our mind. Uh, but I mean, sure, I'm happy to help out. So this lady arrived, uh, nothing like any of the other staffers that I've ever had before. She, uh, you know, definitely older than most of the staffers who are usually in their 20s. She um, originally came from Nevada and her story was was very interesting and compelling, very different story than I've heard from the other staffers. Um, Maureen, you're, I'm happy for you to edit this, and but I just would really like to talk about this real quick. There will it's be still no sort editing. of happening. <laughs> um, but she she and I got to know each other uh, while she was staying with me a little bit, and she shared with me that, of course, she was devastated by uh, the whole 2016 election, like us all. And then she had a personal tragedy, um, and her beloved fiance passed away two days before Trump's inauguration. And having had, I've lost a partner myself, a very beloved, um, my first husband, and um, baby daddy of my oldest girl, um, it's something that when you're in that club, only people that have truly experienced that kind of level of loss, and it's a very particular type of loss, it doesn't diminish any, of any, any other losses, but it's something that it's relieving to talk to somebody like that because you don't have to explain it and you don't have to, you know, grief is different for everybody. There's so many different faces. Um, and so 
uh, we were able to get to know each other pretty well, got on very well. And she was in that grief hole, that abyss that you fall into, and successful person, um, a writer, and um, very much a sort of field and stream sportswoman, and but she was in this horrible hole of depression not just because of her loss, but also because of what was going on in the country. And after probably about a year, a year and a half, she was like, I've got to do something. I have to get myself out of this. I could just feel myself sinking. So she had a good look at the huge, vast, at that point, range of presidential candidates. There was like, what, like 40 at one point. That's what it felt like. And she did her due diligence, and she... Um, decided that Amy Klomachar was the person that she really wanted to work, to, uh, work for. Mm-hmm. And she'd never done anything like this before. She packed in her job, she packed up her car, and she drove to Iowa and told the Klobuchar campaign, you guys need to hire me. And um, I don't have any experience, but I'm, <coughs> you know, I'm a quick study, and I can do a great job for you guys. And so she was up there through Iowa, through New Hampshire. She sent down here. And I can say, um, so Amy Klobuchar was here a couple of days ago, and um, this lady was asked as the staffer to maybe do a speech to the crowd before Amy would come out. And I got home. I'd been out all day. I knew that she'd been up at 7 o'clock in the morning, going out to work. I came home at 10.30, and she's sitting at the table, still tapping away in her laptop, and I said to her, you must be exhausted. You've been going all day. Like, it's nonstop, mm-hmm. very diligent, chasing up every lead, you know, out canvassing, getting other volunteers in, really paying attention to the details. And she said, yeah, I am. I'm really tired. But you know what? Every time I think about that, I think of just how tired Amy is, and that's what keeps me going. And to see that kind of passion and commitment in a field organizer, and it wasn't this sort of, okay, you know, this is what I'm going to get involved in. She truly used her sense of helplessness and channeled it into a commitment to uh, the person that she felt could really make a change. Mm-hmm. And I just honestly feel uh and we got the news today that amy klobuchar has dropped out and she was devastated Hmm. um and i just said to her you know to see your level of passion and commitment if campaigns could find staffers like with half that kind of um energy and passion and commitment and being a true believer they would be amazing campaigns Mm -hmm. And it was just, a bit, it's, it's just unusual to see a for like that. And, and it really sort of touched me. It gave me a really good sense of hope that there's still people out there that are willing to just, to follow what they believe. I'm just really glad that I got to meet. I mean, I've had these little campaign staffers float through my house. And, you know, anybody that's involved in that side sort of knows this is, it's, it's a career. It's a turnover. It's like a churn of people. This was something that was different, and I'm just really glad I got to meet her, and I think we'll be friends for a long time, and 
you don't come across people with that kind of shared experience where you can sort of recognize each other and um yeah well so um do you ladies want to talk about um who who you're supporting uh tomorrow or any predictions <laughs> i know right it's like oh be putting out as my um you know my, my personal preference but i do feel that um we have a progressive movement here and i'm not I'm not too happy with how I feel there are, I guess, the, the establishment doesn't want to see some changes that I think that mm-hmm. it seems to me um, the majority of the people in this country want. And I think that was the problem that happened in you know, 2016 where we had this push and it just seems like the um, Democratic establishment is trying to stop that movement. yeah it's how we got our governor it's how we got right <laughs> it's right. how we got north because right. people weren't willing to take a chance on someone who right. spoke <laughs> more progressive values or afraid of the change right and we're talking you know we see the same type of um terminology that's mm-hmm. being used right the electability yes um uh, the fear tactic i don't i don't even know what to call it but, but don't you find it so interesting that people when they do the polls are saying who do you like like from your heart when they, when they poll people they give one and they say but who are you going to vote for mm-hmm. they give another name mm-hmm. and i think it's just um fear mm-hmm. people are afraid you know i think it's fear but i also think there's a big push from you know corporate entities that have almost definitely rallied around you know the establishment and um there's just way too much um influence with the uh by these organizations and by these corporations i feel that it compromises the um current elected officials and making decisions that are better for the people um, because they're concerned about their own next election. They're concerned about um, what, you know, what's going to make them better, not what's better for the country or for, you know, the localities. And I think that we're seeing that play out. And I think that the people that have been um, really engaged over the last few years are seeing things that they probably didn't expect to see. And I can say that personally, for me, that's how I feel. I mean, when we all got together back in 2017, it was this, you know, we're going to we're gonna fight against this and we're all going to be in this together. And, you know, the idea that we're going to do this together and then see that the people that are in the same tent under us are kind of, you know, poking holes in our tent, you know, um, who are kind of working against us. That's been very disillusioning for me, and it's been very frustrating. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I have a preference for who I would like to see um, in the primary, but I'm not confident that that's what's going to play out because I feel that um, our elections have kind of been usurped for a while. Um, whether that started with Russia and whether that started way back, um, you know, I, I think that's really, um, it's an issue, but I, like I said, I, I think that 
our elections aren't as democratic as I would hope that they could be, and that's really kind of painful. Um, and I want I worry about what's going to happen for the future generations. Yeah. Well, personally, I like Elizabeth, um, I, but I do struggle a lot with. Um, uh, some of her challenges that she's had with the indigenous communities and that that weighs really heavy <coughs> on me as well um, however if I since by the time this is, this comes out the winner will <laughs> we will know in Virginia who it is um, I will predict uh, Biden just because I think he's very safe I think he's you know a nice moderate I think people will be comfortable um, it disappoints me that people that I don't feel like people are brave enough to to vote for um, someone who may match or align better with what they actually believe in, like the changes they want to see. But, I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, with you, I mean, I have long thought, well, I'm going to vote for Elizabeth Warren, but pro she's probably not going to win, and it's going to be Bernie Sanders. But in the last two days, I'm thinking, yeah, I don't holy think crap, it'll be I think it's going to be I, Joe And he Biden. would be my number two, honestly, yeah. because I am more democratic socialist than I am. <laughs> definitely more centrist than mm -hmm. moderate. Um, and I, I feel like you select someone who's moderate, this is my personal opinion, then you can pretty much expect no real changes. Right. Um, if you want to see changes, right, any major changes, you're going to have to find someone who's willing to at least campaign on those changes, mm -hmm. right? If you're not comfortable speaking about it, then you're, yeah. you're definitely not going to be, you know, as comfortable actually doing any of that. So the only people I hear speaking about making some real changes um, to health care and to some of the other things that I care about are Elizabeth and Bernie. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll say that, you know, when I, what's frustrating, what's so frustrating to me, and I'm trying to pull up the numbers here, what's so frustrating to me is that, you know, both uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, um, the way, the things that they want to see um, and the things that they're campaigning on are all about significant change you know to mm -hmm. help others significant change it's not change to say okay we'll look at this we'll think about this no we're mm -hmm. going to do this this is what has kind of propelled not just between 2016 on it was this is what bernie ran on before and then to see the establishment push back against that um it's it, t it tells me that, just like you said, yeah. they don't want the change. They don't want the change. They don't want the change. They're, and, and, and it really makes me question what, first of all, why do we have a gajillion candidates? I mean, what the heck is that about? We haven't had, I mean, is it me? Or we haven't had this many candidates for a primary um, that I recall this long. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? I don't. I feel like there were probably I don't know, like maybe eight last time. I don't know, but I feel like this time it was like it just I don't maybe know, and, then, and maybe I'm thinking like because I look at it, I'm like God. Since 2017, I feel like I've aged like you know 30 years because it's it's every year with Trump feels like it's been just 10 years, right? Right. So I, I feel like it's gone on unnecessarily long, and then on top of that, the movement that we've seen within the Democratic Party as far as the people's, what the people prefer, what the people want. The voices of those people are being shut out mm -hmm. from within. Mm -hmm. And that's incredibly depressing. So, I mean, I know I, I prefer, I mean, I've been saying all along, I'm fine with the Warren Sanders, the Sanders-Warren, 
they've been they should have done that a long time ago but the party has not allowed for that or i and i don't know what the the rules and regulations are but i can tell you that when the republicans see those type of things they capitalize on that immediately and i i do not know what's going on with the the democratic party when it comes to this stuff but that that you know the moment i saw unfortunately wasserman schultz put her name behind biden i knew that the flies would just kind of start because we still have a lot of capitalist democrats we do i just think that again you're bought out yeah. You know, it comes yeah. down to being sold out, you know, and, you know, the money in politics is a huge issue. And, you know, the only one that's actually returning checks to billionaires is, is Sanders, you know, and that that's pretty. I mean, it speaks volumes that both Warren and Bernie are against the Wall Street corporations. Mm-hmm. You know, they are the ones that are shutting down or again and, and the people that are afraid of that shutdown or afraid that they could possibly bring change to potentially the corporate tax structure. I mean, come on. Amazon deserves to pay some taxes. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so does Walmart. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but, n- you know, we can't, they, they would be the ones that represent that change. I just don't see the Democratic establishment supporting that. Well, I think that, um, well, I mean, George Orwell is always relevant in many ways. Um, it just feels that you, you know, those sort of quotes and images from both 1984 and Animal Farm just keep floating up for me over and over again. And just like Alicia was saying earlier, like, well, I guess some are more, you know, there's still a lot of democratic capitalists around. <clears throat> and that just makes me think of, yeah, we're all equal, but some are more equal than others. And that's... Yeah, I didn't even talk about the Democratic white supremacists that are around. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's plenty of them. Oh, and yeah. and there's plenty of people that, you know, sort of let it slide and don't call them out when they should. And I mean, it's They're just, right here it's, in our backyard. Yeah. There are, some of them are elected officials right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's just, I don't know, sometimes I think we've all felt like this. You just feel like you can get sucked under a wave of pessimism and it's never going to change and I, well, this is why I can't do that. I just have to keep chugging along because <laughs> I have children that I care about and dearly love and, uh, you know, have their own vulnerabilities where they don't always fit into the society that has been built up. And I have to try and make it better because what's the alternative? Antidepressants. Break it all down. Start it anew. <laughs> yeah. Burn it. Burn, burn it. it. Burn it. <laughs> or antidepressants. Right. <laughs> no, a new party. So a really good book, a really good book to read if you're interested is um, Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. Um, it's written by um, Anand Giridas, and um, he said that there's no denying that today's elite may be among the more socially concerned elites in history, but it is also, by the cold logic of num- numbers, among the more predatory in history. And it, it's it's an excellent read, but I mean, you know, it's actually eerie. Um, what's... The prescient it is? Yeah, it, it really is. Well, I think that's a good 
good segue into can we all get a book recommendation from somebody uh from all of us what are we reading at the moment what do we intend to read oh yeah uh it's funny because i just pulled up uh my instagram and here is dolly parton with her imagination station library <laughs> and it looks like she's reading the little engine that could there you go <laughs> Is that your book? That is my book. Uh, I'm going to keep it real simple and just, you know, I think I can. I think I can. So there, that's my recommendation. Well, um, my book recommendation, and I cannot recommend this enough, um, is Hood Feminism, Notes from the Women That a Movement Forgot by Mickey Kendall. And I blasted through this in like two days. And... Um, as one of those white ladies that, you know, was probably pretty clueless in many ways up until a few years ago. Uh, I think this is an amazing book. I think everybody needs to go and read it. Yeah, books. Um, I'm not reading anything in particular right now. I I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> I will share off topic. I did um, my African ancestry DNA recently cool. and it came back from Cameroon Ooh. and a tribe called the Bamalike people. If there are anyone local, uh, please uh, reach out to me. Wow. One of my connect. good friends, her husband is from Cameroon, but she, they live in um, New York. So awesome. I will connect you. Yeah. yeah. So I'm reading, um, I find the best way for me to learn or to read like, um, Bamalike folk tales and children's fables. So that's what I'm reading right nice. now. Children's books. Um, I do have um, some books on Pan-Africanism on my night shelf that I will pick up as soon as I finish my Bamalike folk tales. <laughs> so um, one of the books that I recently read that I really liked was called um, A Fair Shot, Rethinking Inequality and How We Earn by Chris Hughes. Chris Hughes is... Um, formerly the co-founder of Facebook with, uh, what is the dude's name? Mark Zuckerberg. Can I remember his name? The guy yeah. that cuts his own bangs with like a blunt scissors? Right. <laughs> well, my understanding about Chris Hughes, Chris Hughes actually um, is very much, um, he founded something called the Economic Security Project, and they're working on um, a uh project that is goes against um, monopolies and um, providing uh, cash based incentives to people who are in the working poor um, and so it's a very it's not like hey here's a foundation we're going to give the money to the foundation and, we're, and then the foundation's going to help you it's no we're going to give you a certain amount of money every month to, to help improve your your daily day to day to day life and i think they've had pilots in chicago and places like that but it's a it's an excellent book so i encourage you guys to read it well i'll also add to that not to be sounding so incredibly worthy about everything that i do have horrible reads that i feel deeply ashamed about and yet can't seem to wean myself off and daniel steel no not daniel steel <laughs> Danielle Steele is actually Zane. Danielle Steele. Actually, Zane's not too bad. Come on, come on. I like guilty pleasures. But um, so I would say in this season of Lent, and you know, giving things up that bring you um pleasure, uh, I've got to stop reading 
the Daily Mail online. It is <laughs> the worst. But I, it, I find it really hard to stay away from. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, it's so, like, just salacious and juicy and, and just, you know, it, it makes all that little, those little dopamine cells. But, but it's just so horrible. Like, it's just damaging and, and nasty and I need to stop. If I, if I want to consider myself any sort of a decent person, I need to stop reading The Daily Mail. The last book I read was The Last Black Unicorn by Tiffany Haddish. Oh, and yeah. um, it is hilarious. Is that but her memoir? It is her memoir. Um, it's hilarious, but it is also very difficult at times because she did not have uh, an easy um, journey yeah. to get to where she is today. Uh, so I have mad respect for her, um, even more so than I did prior. To, you know, her comedy is great. Um, but the one that I am going to um, be reading here next is The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Right. I'm not going to say the word because right. we yeah. have a, a kid-friendly show. Two years ago, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody gave, somebody gave me this book for my birthday and never had time to read it. And... Uh, it's, I think it's going to be the perfect time to, to read that book. Mm-hmm. Tis the season. Indeed. Um, let's see. Uh, what else do we have so, on the docket? So can we do like a quick fire? Like, okay, Super Tuesday's tomorrow, right? Yeah. So today, yesterday we had Mayor Pete drop out. Yep. We had Amy Klobuchar drop out today. Mm-hmm. So now it's going to be the Battle of the Old White Boys. Yeah, what's up with that? So... Do we want to do like a little um, quick fire? How do we think? Because I feel like there's been tons of like mad negotiations going on behind the scenes, you know? Like Joe's like, you drop out and I'll give you this if I wit, whatever. Does like, do any of us want to do like Joe Com- Not what we'd like to happen, but what we think could be going on behind the scenes. Oh, oh I. So, I mean, I, so, I would love to... Uh, this is what I, I do think is going on behind the scenes. I think uh, Kamala Harris could potentially be a VP option. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm getting shaky. <laughs> I would love to see her be a <laughs> VP. Like, nah. But some people are like, no. Okay. All right. I just... Maybe I need to be educated better. I'm sure I do. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any... Like, I don't know who's going to go where. Like, I don't know if, you know, if you're saying, like, Biden is, like, telling people, oh, no, hey. No, like, you don't, you don't have to say. Like, it's not about, like, just do a little quick fire, like. Okay, so what I think, what I think will happen is um, if Bernie gets the nomination, I believe that the superdelegates will stop it. Um, if Biden gets the election, I believe that Trump will win. Oh, really? Ooh. Do you really? Now, I have some um, people who are still in my world who voted for Trump who, when I watch them commenting on the Democratic debates, are kind of like saying how Joe is the only reasonable person. Really? Um, and so you could tell that they're just kind of like not real happy with Trump. Is and they would the- potentially vote for Joe. The devil you know versus the devil you don't. Bernie. 
I don't know. They would never. They would. Yeah. See, this is what I have an issue with. But again, these are old white people, so yeah, it's different. Yeah. yeah. yeah it is. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing, right? If everybody is just appealing to the Republican who might change. What are we really looking yeah. at here? That's I mean, what it's more of the same. I, I feel like everyone's catering to the Republican moderate who might decide to change their vote. And I'm like, dude, that's what we're looking at? That's that's where the focus is? No, yeah. I think Biden's going to pull <laughs> that's not a the- woman or a black woman. So maybe Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. might come out the woodwork mm-hmm. for VP um, run choice because he is really pulling on that African American vote. Yeah, I mean I, he's I, not backing yeah. it up like uh, Stadia was. Go <laughs> right. check out that YouTube. I want to stop. I need to just oh, pour gosh. bleach into my brain so I can like never think of that again. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I I think it'll be interesting, but I just I don't I don't see that. Um, and and I say that because I feel like the way the strategy has been around electability and the way that it's been about catering and and uh, coddling the Republican moderate to come over to our yeah. side mm-hmm. is has been heavily, it's not, hey, we need to actually focus on the people who are new voters and the people who are engaged. No, yeah. we're going to focus on those Oh, they might like us today. We want to get we want to get in their good graces. We want to get in the good graces of the Republican moderates because they might like us. It's like but it's you know, like the what's cool the root kids. Of all of that, right? Why do you care so much about getting more people who you feel are like you? Yeah. <laughs> right. To persuade them. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I mean, there's a lot of undertones here. There, right? there are a lot Instead of undertones. Instead of reaching out to the communities who you know, right, would show right. up in droves, mm-hmm. which is what Joe is camping on. Right. right. He's camping on his um, Barack affiliation mm-hmm. right. to pull out black people. Well, well that in and, and of working. itself, it's, it's work working. I mean, we don't want Trump. Mm-hmm. Well, we <laughs> have we to also sure be be, be, right, yeah. be very cognizant of the fact that a lot of our communities um, have still a lot of post-colonial trauma. And, yeah. and, and that is a real deal. And, and, you know, a lot of that still plays out. And if they, you know, I, and that's why I worry that, you know, if Biden gets the nomination, I'm not confident that we will have, you know, a win. And it's, you know, so because, again, we're ignoring the movement. We're ignoring the voice of the people and we're catering to some Republican moderates that make it easy for people to it's more palatable. See, and we disagree on that one. And that's cool. Like, I think Joe will do everything he can to bring out more blacks and women because he knows he must have them to to win. I don't think he doesn't understand that. I'm not. uh, Let me rephrase myself. I don't think that Biden isn't capable of doing what he needs to do. What I feel is that the reason why he has been pushed up because at least the way and i'm not sure about the rest of the states because up until last week it was a race between bloomberg and biden yeah. oh excuse me bloomberg and it's, bernie yeah. and now we flip-flopped over to biden and that really tells me where where do we stand where is virginia right now come on like you're gonna flip-flop like this you know, I have, you know, I'm concerned about that, right? So you're like, oh, wait, first Bloomberg. No, 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 no. Never mind. We don't want Bloomberg. We want Biden. Why? Right? And and so it's, yeah, I'm not saying that he won't do what he needs to do. Again, I just don't think 
that's he's the candidate that has the mass behind him. So I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong because trust me, vote. I do not want another four years you of this guy. So it definitely does. I don't feel like he has the young people's vote. I feel like he mm-hmm. has the middle age, <laughs> older persons. You know, like he's right. a safe bet. Right. We know him. But what that, that All right, let's go. Safe bet. Yeah, mm-hmm. but again, it's again, it's that yeah. no real change. Well, right. I guess the only change would be. No asshole in here. <laughs> right, right, right. And, yeah. and I, I think we can all agree that nobody wants... We can all agree that nobody wants another four years of Trump, right? Yeah. It's the idea that... We're the, settling. Right. For not... For... For... I don't know what for. Right. Well, I think that, it, like, listening to you you know it's always like the midwestern person in a diner right like that's the moderate republican that you're talking about suja like it's always some midwestern dude in a diner and if you're gonna pander to that then we will lose forget it um but it feels to me like when voters are trying to make this decision it's not always about this is the candidate that is the best candidate, the person like Elizabeth Warren that's got a plan for everything. It's who's the driving thing is who is going to beat Trump. That is the massive factor that's going into all of these calculations. I mean, I've talked to so many people where they're like, oh my God, I was Mayor Pete yesterday, I'm back to Elizabeth today, and I'm going to be Joe tomorrow. Like, And it's all about these, the fear, the fear that we're going to have another four years of that guy. Oh, absolutely. But think about the cluster that um, is going to happen on, on primaries. I mean, a lot of us are much more involved and yep. engaged when we go to get the ballot and everybody's name is going to I be know. on there. I know. Like, can we yeah. delete everybody that dropped off? Because do you know how many votes are going to go to people that mm-hmm. aren't going to be in the race? I mean, I what can't a even, waste. I don't even know how that all figures out in terms what of, like, delegates. Waste. Yeah, it's Like, just, how, what, what about the, anyway, sorry. that's a whole other Yeah, I just, you know, sorry. So but yeah, make sure I do, you I do on feel, Tuesday, but check to see, as of today, we have, Biden, we have Sanders, we have Warren, we have Bloomberg, Tulsi. I was like, what? <laughs> She's still Tulsi. there. Yeah. And and that's that's Is that it, it, right? I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do. I mean, and I think we can all acknowledge this. Whoever ends up being the nominee, the VP pick is going to be so key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is going yeah. to be. Um, a massive decision because they're going to try and um, you know make a coalition that That exactly that's that's the person that that is you're going to be motivated to like okay do I really want to go knock on doors for Bernie do I really want to go knock on doors for Joe not that you don't but where what's going to get you out on a you know 100 degree July day Mm -hmm. or the you know 20 degree early November day mm-hmm. I I want to feel inspired by somebody and I want to feel like it's somebody that gets a shit frankly well I and I feel like it, we are I mean I don't want to make us sound like we're more special than we are but we are 
we are very special but i mean the majority <laughs> of the people that i know are facebook activists and they're not out there knocking those yeah. doors yeah. and so you know i don't know if if anyone's listening to this and you haven't ever knocked doors before but get out there it's really not that hard you can do it with friends it's kind of fun um people um are actually a lot nicer than you would imagine um and there can be some jerks out there but um yeah i mean i'm i'm with all y'all morning did make it to this you know Oh yeah. <coughs> um, well, I thought I did. I, I, you know. Did you say who you think? Well, uh, originally I thought it was going to be Bernie, um, but then like two days ago, I'm feeling like it's going to be Joe Biden um, now, just because everyone's getting behind him. Um, but I mean, I'm voting for Sanders. So. I thought you were voting. I mean, for Warren. Yeah, I mean, so sorry. <laughs> I don't know. What? Yeah, I'll have to edit that out. Sorry, I'm not voting for Sanders. I'm sorry. If he for wins, I'll vote. Yeah. If there was a dead dog on the street, mm-hmm. ended up being the nominee, I would against Trump. Yeah. I, would, I will go knock on the doors for the dead dog. For the on dead the dog. Yeah. And I, mean, I and I would really, I would seriously be able to sell that dead dog on the street to and, the I mean, voters because that, that's the way I feel. I will vote blue, yeah. no matter who, even. Even though until you're blue in the face, I will have problems. But I, the alternative, uh, but we're looking at numbers right now. I love Warren, but yeah. So I w- there's a website that we're looking at called projects538.com, yeah. and you can pull up. I mean, I'm 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 talking about just Virginia. You can pull up what the um, I guess forecasted uh, percentage points are for um, all of the people that are running. And so currently we have Biden at 12.8, Sanders at 11.5, Bloomberg at 8.2, and Warren at 1.5. And so that's just... Looks a little gloomy. It's gloomy. Yeah. It's gloomy. I'm sure people thought that Danica Rome couldn't be elected, and, uh, and she was. So yeah. Yeah. you just never know. If 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 you vote for her, yeah, she will be elected. Yeah, and, and I wonder, you know, the first candidate who's ever been able to get Iowa. What are the other states? Nevada, and what was the third one? Massachusetts, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. You know, the the first. I mean, that was Sanders. Nobody else has ever done that before. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I'm like, I'm not a political strategist or anything like that. But I'm like, what does that mean? But, but I frankly think that all of that stuff, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything anymore, yeah. right? Yeah. Like everything changed after everything 2016. Changed. None of those, um, none, of the, none, none of the old way of thinking about, you know, crunching these numbers. I, I mean, come on, just, just stop. Yeah, yeah. We all knew Hillary had won. Like mm-hmm. we all went to bed. We knew she had won oh, until we knew she, she did. did not win. Oh, my God. I, I just want yeah. to And can Iowa just go to like a regular... Stop with the caucus stuff, for God's sake. I just went to bed that day, that night. I didn't even stay up. I was just traumatized. So I just went to bed because I was like, either way, you know. So, well, my question here, it's as we're wrapping up, why do we keep persisting? Um, You know, it's a totally different vibe, this episode, 
It is. It's right down. It is. <laughs> you're we sound to this podcast, really... you're like, dang, ladies. What's the point? Yeah. Just throw in the towel already. <laughs> um, so why no, do we? Why do we keep persisting? How, how do? That. And how do we keep persisting? So I mean, I think for myself, I mean, I, we talked about this briefly when we weren't recording, but you know, I think initially we were all very much like you know how you feel when you're starting middle school and you're just all excited and getting ready to you know make some change and now we've kind of you know gone through seventh grade and then we're at eighth grade now and we're like it's not that great um and we want to get out of it but at the same time I do think that we've made some great changes like we've done some wonderful work like all of us I mean there's been some wonderful movement have we gotten have we seen things that we probably wouldn't have expected to see and it's disenfranchised us. I can say for sure, yes, I, I do feel that way. Does that mean that I'm gonna stop? I mean, I do think I'm focusing more on things that I believe will be much more impactful. Um, I am putting my my efforts, not that it's going anywhere else outside of like, you know, I'm always gonna vote, I'm always gonna be part of the process, but I do feel like for me, I, I want to focus on things that are going to be much more impactful and um, it's difficult sometimes because um, you get worn out and we talked about self-care in our last episode mm -hmm. and I think that um, I, I you know we have to continue to make sure we're, we're doing the things we need to do because there's so many things that are going on I feel like every every time I turn around still even now mm -hmm. you know it's just there's just way too many things that we can um get overwhelmed with um and you want us to be like uh, seriously another issue what else do we need I mean it, it's it's exhausting but I I personally want to focus more on things that are impactful and you know I, I I'm committed to doing that but um it's a different vibe for sure um, that's a hard one. I will say that I do feel like the needle is, even though we aren't making nearly as much progress as I would like to see, the needle is moving more and more to the left. Like this is the first year I've seen Democratic um, candidates talk about an actual, um, you know, reparations, which has never been introduced into any conversations before. Uh, and it's kind of like laughed, <laughs> you know, if someone brings it up, they're just like, ha ha, yeah, right. Um, so at least some conversations are coming up. I do think that um, people are starting to recognize the power of the brown and black vote. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we have um, candidates at least, you know, willing to have sort of an agenda for how to address equity in mm -hmm. race relations and police brutality in the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like wage gaps between African-Americans and other great and other you know, groups of people. So I do think some of the conversations are, are being forced to the forefront as people recognize they have to have these conversations in order to get our vote, like we're no longer just giving it, you know, you need to do something. Um, but at the same time, I have also significantly pulled back from my own personal involvement in politics. Um, I focus much more on children now. <laughs> But I will say that the children that I'm involved with, they are quite some radical kids. They've already done, you know, three youth climate change um, strikes, you know, have been speakers. They are, you know, joining other groups for monumental justice. Our co-op held a rally at the Columbus statue. 
and you know we're putting together a petition and they're all pushing the bill for the city to um, have control over what statues you know what basically control over the statues mm -hmm. instead of like the states and federal government so I think um, I see much more hope there um, in raising up a new generation mm -hmm. of kids who are active and involved from a young age and are circling the General Assembly and starting to understand that process and encourage that than I do from, unfortunately, adults. I don't have yeah. a whole lot of faith. Um, you know, I was happy to see that we took back, you know, the General Assembly, but I've not been all that impressed, um, truth be told, with the lack <laughs> of movement on some bills that I think should have been easy things to push through, considering we have a majority. Mm -hmm. um, our governor had his whole fiasco, you know, <laughs> last year. Um, y yeah, again, I think that's what happens when we settle for a moderate instead of pushing for someone who's more progressive, who's talking openly about things. You know, the governor's wife still doesn't seem very comfortable saying, you know, certain words like black people yeah, yeah, <laughs> out yeah. of her mouth. You know, and then until you do that, you know, I don't, I don't foresee a whole lot going on. I will say that the governor did put together a commission to talk about um, how to incorporate more African American history into the SOLs um, and created a board for that. And there's some good people on that board, but you know, what what does that mean? I, I don't know. I, I suppose it's a step. Mm -hmm. um, and without people pushing, we wouldn't have had that, but it, it should be so much more, and I shouldn't have to settle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, we shouldn't have to settle. Yeah. I mean, you need to, I, I personally think we ought to form a new party, but, you know, yeah, that's my thought. Yeah, I mean, I still have, I still have, uh, obviously massive interest in politics and how's it going like it, 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 it's it's all still fascinating to me right always has been um, definitely more jaded I think than I would have been back in you know 2017 when all this stuff was going because that felt like it was a truly grassroots movement these weren't cynical people that knew how to you know pull levers and make deals and you do this for me and I'll do this for you or like all of these sort of strategic moves. It was, it, it felt quite pure at the time because it was stemming from a place where people were angry, they were scared and it was a desperation to do something, anything. So it meant that it was primarily female driven um, because we're the caretakers and mm -hmm. because somebody like that person who was, you know, threatening to grab our pussies, was in the White House, and he's our, our instinctual, I think particularly as women, was absolutely appalled by somebody like that sitting in the Oval Office, somebody that has, you know, is, is a is a empty person. And um, we coalesced together because we had that sense of urgency about what needed to be done. And it felt like a very straightforward, pure energy. We've got to change this because the people that have been pulling the levers and the people that, uh, you know, technically do know what's going on, obviously have screwed up in the worst possible way. Um, and I think what, 
we've seen happen that goes back to what you were saying, Suja, like the whole sort of middle school, you know, all thrilled at the beginning with new friends. It's all fresh and it's all new and we're all learning new things. And then people start to develop alliances and factions and, you know, they also get to know much more about the process. Um, you know, most of us didn't even know who our delegates and senators were at the beginning. And now we can go in and tell you like the numbers of the bills and who voted what way. And then, you know, the purity politics starts to come into it. And where do I feel about that? I want my, I want my politicians to be people that have integrity and are not scared to say, I'm running on this issue and I'm gonna stay with this issue. Where I've seen this over and over again where you know, and it's the old story of like politician will promise anything to get elected and then they'll do whatever they want to. But when you were electing these people that weren't career politicians and they were elected by this collective energy and you start to see them morph into that career politician, it's like, is it just inevitable? Is that just something because they're in the environment that it, they absorb it and it, they just can't help but be uh, like is it maybe understanding like nothing gets done unless you are prepared to become part of the system i just don't know but it it feels it can feel very dispiriting it can feel like oh jesus i'm walking through um a swamp you know uh, with the pair of concrete boots and every step i take it's harder and harder you know to feel like I'm going to maintain this energy instead of just being like, screw all y'all. So how do you persist? I persist because I love the people around me. I love and care about marginalized communities, the people that don't get the same opportunities and not through any fault of their own. We are all just elements in the wind and where you end up and what family you're born into or what advantages or disadvantages you get in life it is chance mm -hmm. it is chance and i will never stop feeling that massive sense of unfairness and injustice and sense of like um people just most people they just want to live their lives and I want my children to grow up in as decent a world as they possibly can. And the people that I see just living their lives and doing what they can, they're just more important yeah. than the feckers at the top that are, you know, sucking it all away for themselves. And I'll never stop feeling that. What's the point? Like, I can't just turn it off. I, I don't know what the alternative is. I mean, I think we all have our, our touch points, right? What, what, what makes us persist past, you know, some of the things that we've been, that has been making us feel disengaged, disenfranchised by the system, whether that's seeing our politicians kind of fall into that career, you know, trap. Do they toe the line? It's, it, it, it. It's difficult, right? So for me, I can tell you that what um, 
has made me continue to persist are things like the organization we co-founded, the Asian Latino Solidarity Alliance mm-hmm. of Central Virginia, having programs that allow for you know Asians, Latinos, and marginalized communities to engage with their localities, um, really pushing for positive change and um, getting our communities connected in a way that they mm-hmm. probably couldn't be connected if they didn't have those resources available. And, and, and that's very, very motivating for me. And it's not just, hey, we're introducing it to you, but now the county has a way to um, engage um, people and, and, and seeing those kind of changes, making those changes there. Um, you know, there are some p- legislation that I've worked on. Um, so there are things that I feel very strongly about that I can focus on, um, but it's not just for me. I look at, you know, I have children and I have, you know, I want to see things better for them and I want to make it easier for them and their grandkids and my grandkids when I get when 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 I get older and um so that those are the things that motivate me and if I can change anything and make it better um and if I have a hand in it I'll I'll, I will do my best um and so those are the things that make me persist I wanted to add that one thing I think that's really positive right now in Richmond is that we do have a lot of really good local grassroots stuff going on Mm -hmm. That um, Richmond for All group is oh, kicking ass right yeah. now, right? And then you've got the Red for Ed group oh, yeah. that's doing really good work for on behalf of the school teachers. So, I mean, there are a few. Um, side by side. Yeah, side by side is doing wonderful work yeah. out there. So there are a few groups that are really, you know, that are doing really good stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think they get nearly as much credit as they should for mm-hmm. the amount of work that they're doing mm-hmm. um, and the lack of um, politicians who are... <laughs> Who are, who are not acknowledging their work and, and could be much more supportive and helpful mm-hmm. because they're showing up to, to you know, the General Assembly pressing for different, um, you know, bills and, yeah. But I mean, there are some really great things out there that inspire me. I'm not necessarily involved in them, but I do watch and support, you know, financially or um, more so financially if I can. That's pretty much the, the limit of my uh, participation and just forwarding and sharing their information mm-hmm. which if you're listening you know sometimes just sharing information on your Facebook page if you can't do a whole lot can mean a lot because if you can encourage one other person to go or one other person to then share it on their page you know you could possibly get 10 people and 10 mm-hmm. people may not sound like a lot but 10 people mm-hmm. you know signing up to speak at the city council meeting mm-hmm. is huge mm-hmm. right and could make a huge difference so you know, getting people actually to show up and get involved does make an impact. Yeah, the hive mind. The hive mind, yeah, yeah. just getting people activated. Yeah. And uh, so, and not to sound like a complete Debbie Downer, but for myself. <laughs> 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 Debbie Downer. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I'm, we're just going to wrap up here, but, um, uh, you know, for, for me, I really had to take a step back and stop everything. Um, The way that I can persist is to make sure that I'm taking care of myself, um, make sure that I'm taking care of my family. And um, I mean, I'm going to be going on this paleo diet starting tomorrow. Really? Everybody's doing keto. How do you say that? Paleo. That's old. I'm going to drop some weight, some LBs here. 2014. I for for every for every decade Trump has been in office, I have gained (laughs) ten pounds. So 
there you have it. Um, no, seriously, I've, I've, I've gained a lot of weight, and I'm look looking beautiful. forward yeah. to taking it off. Uh, I don't feel very beautiful, okay. but well, thank you. you. Um, but it just it would be healthy to not be this weight as well. So there's that. Um, so for all you persisters out there who are struggling um, in any sort of way, um, be it mental, emotional, physical, weight-wise, whatever. We got your back, and uh, we want to end here with something funny, um, something light. Um, I don't know what that looks like. (laughs) Alswin's usually good at something like this. (laughs) That's too much pressure. It's too much pressure. I don't know. I will apologize if this this, – our conversation today has been pretty heavy. Yeah. I think it was starting off with the coronavirus. Yeah, heavy. <laughs> and then, you know, your husband She's who's the sister. death specialist, you know. <laughs> All things apparently, yeah. you know, um, start with some type of virus. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I don't know. In the last episode, what, you know, we were talking about, like, nicknames and stuff, and I thought that was pretty hilarious. Yeah, so, John. Yeah, you know, that's got to be my new name, Soul John. Um, I don't know what else we could talk about that's funny, but I just, I feel like it's been a downer. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so one thing, um, so I'm getting married, and um, uh, I I came out to my family in the last, uh, like, what is it, been eight months or so. Um, It's been less than a year, and so that's been a journey, um, a very, very good journey, and everyone was very, um, very nice and and kind of hilarious because they all said, well, we've (laughs) we've known. Isn't that (laughs) the funny thing is that people come out and you're like, yeah, okay, what else is new? We Uh knew that. Yeah, both my parents. uh, So my dad said um, when my mom was letting him know that um, I was dating someone, um, he said, oh, she's dating someone? Well, that's all right. I'm not paying for the wedding. And then my mom said... um, well, it's it's a woman, and he said, "Oh, well, that doesn't surprise me." <laughs> and then he said, "I'm still not paying for that wedding." So, <laughs> um, and true to his form, he is not paying for our wedding. And uh, I feel like you should at least give half now. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. So we've been we've been doing some side hustles and and whatnot. But um, I wanted to share with you um, one of the the really more beautiful aspects of of the wedding planning is. I have felt like um, my mom's involvement and um, she has gone out of her way to um, to go with our theme. Uh, my fiance's uh, name means honeybee. And so we're having a honeybee themed reception. That and my mom great. has gone out and literally bought a swarm of bees. Uh, a real swarm? Like a live swarm? N- no, like little fabric bees, but basically a, a whole yeah. swarm of bees. And she's making these beehives um, to be our centerpiece. Mm. So, yeah, isn't that nice? God love her. Okay, I already, I have, I'm not going to tell you now, but I already have your perfect wedding gift. Oh. Honey related. Okay. And, you know, we've got the honeymoon, which I just now thought about. (laughs) And Melissa wants me to uh, take her to Disney World, and so she keeps whispering it in my ear at night. Is is that something to do with honey? Winnie the Pooh. Is Winnie the Pooh there? I don't know. Yeah. uh, A mini moon. A mini mouse moon. Yeah, we're going to go back to Ireland. Um, you have to go see my mommy. Oh, yeah, we'll totally uh, take your mom out. Yeah. To, I remember when to you dinner. went on that solo trip to Ireland. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah. It was and, and my mommy brought her out for dinner. Oh, yeah. yeah. Her mom yeah. treated me to a, a lovely uh, Indian dish. I was actually Pakistani. Oh, it was? Oh, okay. Oh, I'm Thank sorry. You Thank you. 
So sorry. Um, I hope you feel awkward, Pamela. <laughs> I do. Well, I, you know, the last episode, I corrected you on something. And when I was re-listening to it, I was like, oh, my gosh, Maureen, get over yourself. You don't have to be. <laughs> well, actually. <laughs> so, anyways, um, that's my something nice. Well, you know, not to be Debbie Danner about your trip to Ireland or anything, but, you know, that would is actually, like, full circle back to the coronavirus because... Do we actually know if any of these trips will ever oh, happen wow. again? Like <laughs> Cancel all trips. Yeah. Yeah. So when's our next uh, podcast? Like maybe in a month? One month. Sounds good. One yeah. month? I don't one month. Know. Like I think, don't, don't we need to disseminate the whole Super Tuesday? I mean, whoever wants do we to We could do together, a mini one. We can do a we mini can do one. Mini one. If, if, if somebody can't get be here, you can be on the phone. How much time do you need to get? Because she said the VPN thing. Suji keeps going. (laughs) Sorry, I know. We do have to go. We have to go. Okay, well, (laughs) after all of that, um, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate you. Um, uh, This, of course, is a very free podcast, so (laughs) whether you listen or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But um, I'm looking. I think we're all looking forward to you. We're going to be able to start maybe thinking about getting some guests lined up. Yes. We'd like we have some, some guests, important yeah. races happening in our areas alongside Dump Trump campaign. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, we can we can talk a lot about that. And there's also there's tons of amazing, interesting people that we want to talk to that in different parts of our community mm-hmm. that yeah. some of it has nothing to do with politics that right. are equally important and um, you know contribute just as much and I'm really looking forward to being able to do that and also you know tales from you know the doorsteps the crypt <laughs> that, that should be like <laughs> that, that should be yeah. like a little that we yeah. can do that as a bit you know mm-hmm. I love bits alright <laughs> talk to you later Bye-bye. Bye bye bye